But then I have people saying, you know, I'm doing fantastic. And then, you know, and, and, and my blessing is, is in the parking lot. You know, that's, that picks my curiosity. So when I hear a, a comment like that, and then I say, well, i got to follow that up. And uh, then I realized that the, the blessing was too good just to, yeah, bring those up, just to keep to himself. So I thought, you know, I didn't tell Dave I was going to do this, but I thought, he's got he's to share this with the house this morning. So, Dave, you get to share with the house this morning. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How's everybody this morning? Uh, my name is Dave Gillard. I've been coming here for quite a while. Is this turned on? Yeah, it's on. Just okay. keep your nice I can't close. hear myself. That's all. <laughs> um, well, my daughter lives up in Huntsville. And um, every now and then she says, Mom, Dad, you want to come up for lunch? And we say, yeah. So we'll drive up to Huntsville, three hours up, three hours back. <laughs> um, and most of the time she usually gives us a blessing to help us out with gas and stuff like this. So about two weeks ago, or three, she uh, called us and wanted us to come up for lunch. So we said, not a problem. She said, well, we'll meet in Huntsville. I said, okay, we'll meet in Huntsville. So we left, and we met her about 11.30 in the morning in Huntsville. And uh, she's standing there uh, outside waving and hands going all over the place. And she's standing there with a brand-new uh, 2019 Ford Escape. Well, I'm telling you, the tears started flowing because we were so happy that she had a brand new Ford Escape. So we got in and she said, well, we wanted to meet here, Dad. And I said, okay, why? And she gave us a letter. Well, hmm. oh, the tears started to flow. <laughs> uh, here was a letter stating that she's giving us a brand new 2017 Ford Escape. <laughs> I mean, Oh, I couldn't stop. And yeah. uh, she said, well, we're meeting here for one reason. And I said, well, she said two reasons. And uh, one is to give you this, and the other one is to take you to the ministry. And I said, oh, okay, what are we going to ministry for? Because I'm your daughter, and I'm giving you this vehicle. Now I don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, another blessing. <laughs> yeah, amen. Anyways, we got the Ford Escape out front now, and uh we were just rejoicing all day long, all the time. I still can't believe it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Woo! God is just, oh, just pouring out his blessing. So believe for what you want to receive. And God already knows, and he's got it in store, and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Amen. That's what I know today, and I believe that all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> with that, Amen. I'll pass this back over. Praise the Lord. Oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, you know, just uh, was uh, hoping all my kids would have been here to hear that this morning. So, uh, you know, just, you know, just so you get, uh, you know, to get a picture of how this works, you know. We spend all this time just giving out and giving out. And then, you know, when you get a little bit of gray on top and all that, it's time for it to come back, you know. And uh, so just really excited about that. that is fantastic. Praise the Lord. How many know that's good? Amen. Praise the Lord. Woo. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is so good. All right. What's that? Come on. Come on. It's a Ford anointing. Praise the Lord. Can everybody say F-150? F-150. Hallelujah. All right. Can we uh, switch this over to me, guys? Lariat. Yeah, Lariat. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, amen. <laughs> ah, 
Well, you know, it seems like forever since I was up here talking uh, and speaking to you guys. And, uh, you know, because three weeks ago, um, Barry was speaking. And then two weeks ago, I was in Oshawa. Uh, my wife and I were up there with John Kirsch's congregation. And, and so Henshaw was here uh, speaking. And then last week, we decided to take it off. So Barry was back uh, here again. And uh, so, you know, it's been like a month we, you know, it's been almost as long as it's been since Nikki and Adam have been here. So, I mean, it's a... <laughs> Praise the Lord. Sorry, guys, I just couldn't resist that one. <laughs> yeah, everybody says as long as... What's... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, everybody says as long... Everybody say this way this morning. As long as I know the rules, then I know how to play. There you go. That's how it works. Amen. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it, the lo- last time I was here was the uh, last Sunday in June speaking. I w- not the last time I was here, but the last time I was speaking. And, um, and I talked about freedom by grace. You guys remember that? And, um, you know, and how the only way we can be free from the, 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 the flesh, the, the encapsulation of flesh that we live in, and all of the vices of the enemy that try to bring us and encumber us is by God's grace, is by God's grace. There is no other way. And so we talked about that, and, and, uh, and I, I need to review this this morning because it launches me into where I want to talk to you for the next three weeks on. And that's right, I'm going to be three weeks in a row. It's, it's hard to believe, but three weeks in a row. And uh, just a minute. I never even noticed you guys sitting over here. Kevin and Jolene, you guys have a little love gift here this morning, don't you? Come on. Come on, look at that. Well, come on, buddy. Pick, pick up. Well, you can. I'll just leave her. Yeah, just leave her in the thing. But yeah, look at that. Come on. Woo! Amen. And, and, and tell me again, the name was? Sophie Marie. Sophie Marie. All right. Isn't that awesome? Way to go, Mom, by the way. You know, dad, Dad's showing off, but way to go. That is awesome. Sophie Marie came in at what? Uh, eight pounds, 11 ounces. Just a little wee thing. Just a little wee thing. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. That is awesome. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, no offense, Dave, but even better than a Ford Escape, right? You know. uh, (laughs) Amen. Well, anyway, praise the Lord. Well, remember I talked about how if we want to understand freedom, we have to understand that freedom is, is more than just eliminating our options. And I told you the story about me trying to get victory over watching the news all the time, and so I got rid of my TV. And, uh, and for about, you know, nine months or so, I had total victory over it, but then as soon as the TV came back, the habit came back. And eliminating the options didn't fix the problem. Eliminating my television didn't make me more righteous. It only eliminated the option for unrighteous behavior. And sometimes we think that's what it is. It's just, it's a self-discipline issue. So if I just eliminate all the opportunities in my life for temptation, then I'll be more pure. No, it doesn't work that way. Because freedom requires a change of heart. Everybody say, change my heart. You know, all throughout Scripture, God talks about changing the heart. Taking out that heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, about renewing the heart, creating me a clean heart. Over and over and over again, the Scripture talks about the need for us to have a change of heart. And then once we have a change of heart, we realize that uh, free is being free to choose. We realize that once we are walking in grace, we have more choices before us than ever before. And it's true. 
We, are, we have greater levels of liberty in Christ than we had when we're walking by the flesh. Just ask anybody who's spent any time in an intensely addictive behavior, whether it's a, uh, an alcoholic addiction or a gambling addiction or a, 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 you know, a, a, a crack addiction or something like that, and when they get set free and all of a sudden their life is free, their time is free, their finances are free, whatever, more options open up to their life than ever before. We now have money and time and, and relationships and stuff that we can be involved in that we didn't have before. But along with that comes the ability to make choices. And how many know we often make bad choices? And so we need that change of heart deep in our spirit so that we can choose wisely. Right? Amen? So we talked about that. That's why Paul said in Scripture, everything is permissible for me. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul was pointing out how that, that as a free Christian, and there were lots of things in the Jewish tradition that they were, were not supposed to do, Paul was saying, I'm free. However, Paul said, not everything's beneficial. Just because I'm free doesn't mean I have to do it. Everybody say amen. All right, so we were created according to God's original intent to be free beings, just like we were in the garden. And part of that freedom is making choices. And one of the things that freedom does, I talked about, is it exposes in us a lack of authority or the lack of maturity in our life over our own flesh. So the more free we are, the easier it is to fall off the rails if we have not had a change of heart. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So that's where maturity comes in. That's why we've got to grow in the word, etc. And so then I talked about how the environment of grace, therefore, provides the opportunity for every believer to be real. In the grace-based church, the believer is not expected to be perfect but honest. So in a, in a grace-based church, because we know that it's all by God's grace and not by self-discipline or anything else, then we know that we, we're all walking that same journey. We can be honest with each other. That's what they talk about in Celebrate Recovery. We can stand up and we can be honest about our struggles and our, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we, because we know that the person beside me is doing the same thing, walking the same journey, living out the same struggle that I'm living out, right? We get that. We understand that. And so we're not, we know we're not expected to be perfect, but we are expected to be honest. Because in the environment of honesty, God is able to help us and to actually perfect us, right? We're not expected to be perfect, but if we're honest, we can be perfected. Does that make any sense to anybody? All right? So then... Um, because of God's grace in my life, my sin gets quickly exposed, but because of God's grace in the lives of others, my sin is not used against me. So in other words, I talked about how in, in, in a religious environment, we tend to, we look around, everybody looks perfect. Everybody's in with their, their, their nice Sunday best on, and they're just all cleaned up, and everything's great, and everything's good on the surface, but underneath the carpet, there's a lot of stuff swept away. And we do that because in that environment, we're expected to be perfect, you know? We don't swear, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and if you, you know, have a problem, then, then we feel condemned because we have a sin or we have a problem. And so in a religious environment, that's what happens over the years. And, and what happens is that it looks perfectly sanitized on the surface, but underneath the carpet is all kinds of stuff, right? All kinds of stuff. And then, uh, but in a grace environment, what happens is, you know, we're not expected to be perfect, and so if we do have a struggle in our life, it quickly becomes evident to people around us that we have a struggle in our life. It quickly becomes, uh, it gets easily exposed because we're in a grace environment, right? 
And I use the example of alcohol because it's a simple one. But if you have a drinking problem and you come into the church and you get saved and, you know, and you don't have any kind of a, an understanding that, that whether, you know, Christians should drink or not drink, you've never even heard that argument before, right? You've never even been part of that. So you come in and you're just hanging out with all your Christian buddies and you go out after church and, and they, someone invites you out for dinner and, and you know, you go and you, you order, you know, six pints with your dinner. It doesn't take very long in that grace environment where there was no expectation on you for everybody around you to realize you've got a drinking problem. Hello? Because in that grace environment, you were just being you. And everybody goes, whoa, you got a problem. So now in that grace environment, they can pull you aside and say, you know what, you have a drinking problem. We want to help you with that. Jesus is bigger than your drinking problem. And, uh, and if you're being honest, you can say, you're right, I have a drinking problem. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And then you can begin the journey of being whole. But then here's the other beautiful thing about it, because yours may be a drinking problem. The person beside you, their problem might be one of lying or gossip, and this person it might be of pornography or whatever, and everybody's got a different problem. But because of that, now you realize your sin's not going to be used against you either. Right? That's the beautiful thing about Celebrate Recovery. They, they, tell about, they, they talk in, their, in a small group uh, you know, about what their struggle is or whatever, and they know it's a safe place. It'll never be used against them. Hello? That's what happens in a grace environment. It's never used against me. The sins of my past have never been brought up for, uh, to me and thrown in my face in this grace environment and, and told that it disqualifies me for what God wants to do. It doesn't work that way. By God's grace, we're not disqualified. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. All right. So, and then I went through this chart. You guys remember this? All right. Just look at the person beside you saying, he's going somewhere. So in that religious environment, remember sin, uh, the habit or the addiction that we have, uh, you know, we can't seem to find freedom, so we fall into temptation and we sin. And then we walk in shame because once we've uh, sinned, we feel shame. And since we're a Christian and we think we're supposed to be free from sin, then when we sin, we feel less than a believer uh, and we feel ashamed. And that brings us to a type of repentance, but not a repentance that leads to life, a repentance that reads into a cycle of repetitive behavior. It's a repentance of shame. So our shame drives us to repentance. And so we, you know, rooted in self-condemnation and self-loathing because I'm a failure. And that leads us to making a vow. You see, you, you, one of the ways you can tell if your repentance is godly or not is if it's ungodly repentance, it leads you to making vows. Right? I'll never do that again. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I will never do that again. That's a vow. And that's not healthy repentance. Wow. Wow. That, is, that is looking at yourself and saying, I got this. And that's not right. It'll never work. Are you hearing me this morning? And those vows, they don't work. And why? Because they're made from a place of shame. They're made from a place of, of not knowing the, the wonder and the glory and the majesty of God. And so in that place, we make these vows... You know, and doesn't Jesus even say, don't swear by this or don't swear by that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? Hello? Wonder why he said that. Uh, Self-determination. Then we determine, well, I'm not going to do it again. We, we pray more. We study the Bible more. We even punish ourselves all in an effort to ensure that we never fail again. But guess what happens? All of that makes us feel even more bad about ourselves and leads us right back to the place where we sin again and again and again. And the cycle repeats. Right? But in a grace environment... When we sin, right, we have a chance to break the cycle. Why? Because first thing we do is we turn to confession. 
we go and we, uh, in the grace environment, where I'm not expected to be perfect, I feel safe to confess my sin. That's why the Bible says, confess your faults or your sins one to another. One to another. Everybody say one to another. Now, that doesn't mean you need to take the microphone from me on a Sunday morning and just, you know, bleh, to everybody what your, your sin is. Because not everybody has had the same grace encounter yet, so they can't all necessarily be trusted with it. You know, there might be a person here that's the town gossip that hasn't got a grace encounter yet, and you go blah, and then the next thing you know, the whole city knows, right? Am I, am I making any sense to anybody? But you need to find and walk in community with some people you trust and that you can therefore be honest with that sin about. That'd be wonderful if the, the whole body was like that, and sometimes there's, there, there's great great relief in being able to just share it with everybody, especially when you're on the other side of it, and you can call it a testimony, then you can share it with everybody. And you don't care if the town gossips there, because it's your testimony, and you can share it with everybody. But when you're in the midst of it, it's probably not a good strategy. You need to find some people that you trust, and you need to start working it out. That leads you to a healthy repentance. Now you're walking in community, and now it's not about vows, it's about confession. It's healthy repentance, right? So again, you want to know how you can tell it's healthy repentance? It's not rooted in vows, it's rooted in making confession. Going to a brother and sister and saying, this is what I did. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and I need God's help. That's healthy repentance. Because it's rooted in confession. Does that make sense? Amen? And then we experience forgiveness. Since I've confessed, I've repented to Christ. I know he forgives me. He loves me. He seeks uh, to liberate me. And that leads me to relational power instead of self-determination. So now I understand that my continued righteousness comes from my relationship with Christ and not my self-discipline or my self-determination. So I can get victory and break the cycle. Amen? And we can live uh, above and, and beyond the things that used to hold us in its grip. This is a, a stuff we, we need to get. We need to get. Now, this is all about talking about uh, personal victory, right? Talking about how do we live in victory as a believer. This morning, I kind of want to get real practical over the next three weeks because it isn't just important that we live in individual victory, but we live in corporate victory. Right. Everybody say together. Anything that Jesus is doing in our life, anything that, that God is working in our life can't just benefit us. It's got to uh, me as an individual, has got to, it's got to benefit we as a body. It's got to not just work in me, it's got to work in us. Right? Everybody say, not just me, but we. Not just me, but we. Exactly. Not just me, but we. And so, over the next few weeks, I'm going to have some real practical stuff. Uh, I said to Sherry last night, I said, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to get through all this. And one Sunday, and she said, well, that's because you're going to do it over two. And then I realized, no, it's going to take three. And uh, sitting there, you know, stressing about it, and I realized it's going to take three. It's going to take three. And it just so happens I'm on deck three weeks in a row, so praise the Lord. It's all working out. So, Father, I just uh, ask today that, that Lord, you would uh, help me as I talk about, Father, how do we live in freedom together? How do we do it together? This is something our culture is trying to struggle with right now. Because as we start to talk about things being rights and freedoms and all the rest of it, it's difficult to, to weigh this out without a moral compass because then one person's freedom steps on another person's freedom. And Father, we see the, these things playing out in the press every single day. And Lord, we just ask for your wisdom today because in the body of Christ, there is real answers. 
for these difficult situations. And Father, we pray, God, that you would help us today in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So, when it comes to living uh, together by God's grace and freedom, living together, this is the first thing we have to understand. The difference between deference and hypocrisy. Everybody say deference or hypocrisy. Now, some of you, I'm sure everybody's heard the word hypocrisy before, right? Now, not maybe some of us haven't heard the word deference before. And there's a difference, a huge difference between deference and hypocrisy. And this morning, I'm going to spend most of my time just helping us understand the difference between the two because they are so important for us living together in victory and freedom in the body of Christ, living by grace. Now, some years ago, as we started this journey of grace in the church, there was a gentleman in the church, and he'd lived in, and been raised in an extremely religious, strict environment. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, then he came into Desert Stream, and, and uh, he started to, you know, experience uh, the message of God's grace. And, uh, and so then he, he rightly discerned that, uh, you know, by God's grace, if, you know, I can have a, a drink of alcohol, and it's not a sin. And some of you might be looking at me right here, well, yes, it is a sin, Pastor. Well, just, let's, let's just stick with where I'm going here. And then he realized that it's not a sin. So then he, he started uh, down a path of where he was drinking a lot. And then on one Sunday morning, he was actually uh, talking in the foyer with other people about his drinking exploits on the weekend. So I, I, I pulled him aside and I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you know, he says, I'm, I'm just telling my story, you know, of how I was bound up and I was wrapped up religiously, but, you know, I'm... I'm free, and I'm realizing that I can, I can drink and that God has no problem with me having a drink. And, uh, and so to that end, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just, you know, sharing that freedom with everybody here in the room. And uh, so anyway, I told him I didn't agree with him. And he said, what do you mean you don't agree? And I said, well, you know, I told him about Paul's words in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And, uh, and I said, you know, listen to Paul's words, I said there. Um, and then he said, well, <clears throat> you know, I said, if, if you understand that, then your, your freedom may not be necessarily constructive to somebody else. So he told me that he disagreed with me and that he told me I was living under law. He said, you're living under law. I assured him I wasn't. And then he said to me, he said, well, do you drink? And I said, well, yeah. I said, I, if, you know, I... I'm free to have a drink here or there. I said, but more often than not, I don't bother because if it's going to bother somebody or if it's going to cause anybody to stumble, then I won't bother. And then he looked at me and he said, you know what you are? You know it. He said, you are a hypocrite. He said, you're a hypocrite. And uh, I said, I am. And he said, yes, you're a hypocrite. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it seems to me that whenever... Anyone wants to lay down a trump card in a conversation about God's grace uh, and versus law, then they use the hypocrite card. Anybody ever encountered that before? From social media to office politics, your hypocrite is the weapon of choice when assailing somebody's character. Right? That is the weapon of choice. In the body of Christ, it's the major weapon that gets used. People toss that thing around all the time. You're a hypocrite. And that's what he told me. He said, you're nothing but a hypocrite. And uh, I said to him, really, um, I'm a hypocrite. And he said, yes. And I said, well, 
I don't see it that way. And I began to explain to him why I'm not a hypocrite. So was I indeed a hypocrite? Well, let's look at what does it mean, what's a hypocrite? Here's what the dictionary says. It says it's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's pretense. It's somebody feigning or faking or, you know, presenting but not actually practicing high principles, right? That's what it is. It comes from the Greek word hypocrisis, which means to act in a theater, right? That's what it means. So a, a hypocrite, then, is someone who claims to live one way and then turns around and practices something completely different. That is a hypocrite. Is that what I'm doing by having a liberty that I choose not to exercise? Right? Is that what I'm doing? In possessing a liberty which I willfully decline to exercise for the sake of others, am I living hypocritically? The answer to that question is a big fat no. In fact, what I'm doing is called deference, and it's actually the complete opposite of hypocrisy. Everybody say opposite. opposite. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. How do I say that? Well, here's what the dictionary definition of deference is. It's living out of respect for and in consideration of, of and in deference to others. It is placing the needs of others above your own. Everybody get that? It is placing the needs of others above your own. That is what deference is. It's possessing the maturity to deny yourself access to certain practices in consideration of the weakness of others. The label hypocrite would apply to me if I stood in the pulpit and condemned alcohol and then went home and had a pint. That's a hypocrite. But having a belief that it's okay for me to have a pint and choosing not to do so when I'm with people who I think it may be harmful to or hurtful to is not hypocrisy. That is actually love. It's deference. Are you seeing the difference? Do you understand? And when the body of Christ lives in deference, we live in a powerful, wonderful place uh, in Christ. You have to understand that in Scripture, hypocrisy is maligned. Hypocrisy is condemned, but deference is applauded. Deference is supported. Deference is what Paul talks about over and over again in Scripture. And in fact, in the next couple weeks, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture, two main ones, uh, Romans chapter 14 in particular, and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul gets into this in great detail, and he helps us walk through an understanding of what deference is. Does he use that word, deference? No. But as we go through it, you're going to see that he's actually talking about this uh, to each and every one of us. So, deference, the second thing we need to understand is that deference is a mark of maturity. So it's not hypocrisy, it's the opposite of hypocrisy, it is the mark of maturity. Hypocrisy is a practice of the immature and the religious, right? The religious who, you know, looks all spotty and shiny and clean on the outside, but on the inside they're doing all kinds of things that they just don't tell anybody about. That's a hypocrite, right? And just to be clear, there's a little bit of hypocrite in every one of us. Just, just to be clear. Hello? Some of you are going, I'm not a hypocrite. Yes, you are. 
Let's just be honest. We had a, a gentleman here at Bruxy Cave a number of years ago, and he, <clears throat> he talked about uh, credibility and, having a, and everybody having a, a, a credibility gap. And so I meditated on that, took it a little further, and I understand it to mean this. Every one of us has a gap between the person that Jesus says we are and the person we see when we look in the mirror. Right? Jesus says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus says, I'm his son. I'm a joint heir. Jesus has all kinds of wonderful descriptors of me. But when I look in the mirror, right, what do I see? I see everything from zits to self-condemnation. Right? And so we have this gap between the person that we, we see and we know in here and who Christ says we are, and that's called a credibility gap. There's a gap that we're all trying to close, and the journey of Christ, the journey of maturity, is simply becoming the person that Jesus already says I am. So good. You hear me? So very, very good. Or as, if you want to look at it more simpler, becoming the person that your dog thinks you are. Because <laughs> your dog always thinks you're perfect. Is it any, 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 any mystery that dogs felt backwards as God? I mean, come on. They both think the best of you, right? Uh, you know, uh, like every parent who walks around and thinks their kid walks on water, right? And can I help you today as parents? Can I be honest with you? All right? Can I help you out here? Everybody want a little bit of help? A little bit of help? You need to believe in your kids. But don't always believe your kids. Hello? I'm just being honest with you. Oh, my child would never do that. Oh, yes, they would. And, yes, they did. and they already have, and they're already planning to again tomorrow. So it's a very important to believe in your kids. And when kids don't have a parent that believes in them, you see it in their face. You see it when, when their parents don't believe that they have the, the, the stuff to make it work in the long term, over the long haul. You need to believe in your kids. You need to speak into their life and speak into their identity and call it forth and, and tell them they can do it and that they can be a victor and they can overcome. But when your kid comes whining to you because so-and-so hurt their feelings, do not believe everything that comes out of your kid's mouth. I see parents get caught in this stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, well, so-and-so said this to my daughter. Did, did they really? And if they did say it, why did they say it? I mean, there could be all kinds of stuff in there just helping you out. Your kid's going to give you their perspective, and it ain't necessarily the perspective. Why? Because they're a kid for crying out loud. You know how tempting it is to shade things to your way and to your perspective as an adult. How much more pressure on a kid that's 12 or 13? I mean, come on, cut them some slack. Every once in a while, they're not going to be 100% truthful, or they're going to probably just tell you it with just a little bit of icing on it, just to make it a little easier to swallow. I'm allowed to say this. My kids are growing up. I've already been down the road. I can, I can tell you from experience what I'm saying is true. Everything that came out of Derek's mouth as a teenager was not 100% true. <laughs> you know, and, and we'd have been foolish as parents if we'd have believed everything. And we have some funny stories about calling them on some of that stuff. But, uh, you know, the reality is every kid has their struggles. Every kid has stuff they're working through. And it's be, why? And in a grace environment, don't we expect it? 
We don't expect them to be perfect. We expect them to be honest. But sometimes they're not going to be because that's part of the journey of being perfected. So believe in your kids. Just don't believe everything they tell you. That's good parenting advice right there. Hallelujah. I'm not even going to go any further down that road. Just leave it there. That's just what it is. So hypocrisy is a practice of the immature and the religious. Deference is the habit of the mature and the responsible. All right? And uh, you see, this gentleman that was talking to me that day in the lobby, he had had experienced or discovered a liberty without the commensurate maturity to go with it. Does everybody get that? He didn't have the maturity to go with the liberty. We need both. We need both. I'm glad that I have liberty in Christ, but I need maturity to live that liberty out. If I lack the maturity, it can have devastating consequences. The road of grace is filled with the debris of lives destroyed by the reckless living of the immature and the religious. The immature, because they they fail to consider their weaker brother, and the religious because they put weights on our shoulders that we can't live under. And both of them destroy people all the time. All the time. <clears throat> First Corinthians. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Paul, in challenging us in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And when he made that statement, he was answering this question. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Am I my brother's keeper? You realize that when Cain quoted that, (laughs) you know, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it is a life principle. Do you understand that this morning? Not everything in the Bible is a life principle. Some of it's just history. Some of it's just the recording the story, recording the events. So, you know, you can't abdicate yourself from personal responsibility just by quoting the scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, Cain was in sin when he said that, okay? He had just (laughs) murdered his brother, okay? So, not a good response, all right? Not an appropriate response. When it comes to the body of Christ, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You are responsible for the person that sits beside you, in front of you, behind you, around you, across the church from you. You have a responsibility in their life. Your responsibility does not abdicate them from any responsibility for their own life. That's true. They still have responsibility for their life. But you're responsible as well. And we have to understand that if we're really going to walk out freedom in the body of Christ. If we're going to walk out freedom, we have to understand that we are here for each other. And that's why Paul said, everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything is constructive. That's what he said in verse 23. Does anybody know what the next verse says, verse 24? Listen to this. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Paul just contextualized the verse before it. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything is constructive. How do you know whether it's permissible and, and, or, and constructive or not? So Paul puts it in context. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. That's how it works. How do we sort out whether it's permissible and whether it's, it's beneficial or whether it's constructive? We sort out the beneficial and the constructive part by, by asking ourselves, 
you know, is it for just my good or am I, or am I able to live my liberty and still do it for the good of others? Ouch. Whew. Holy smoke. Told you it's going to get practical in here. You hear a pin drop in this place right now. <laughs> there is the answer to the question. And that's what we're going to unpack in the scripture over uh, the next couple weeks. What my uh, friend in the foyer that day had missed is that none of us lives our life or our faith in a bubble. We cannot exercise our liberties without considering how those liberties impact those that God has placed around us in the faith. The truth is that how he lived his life, how I live my life impacts others. And that he, we, everybody say we, bear responsibility for how our exercise of freedom infringes upon another person's journey in Christ. So when Paul says, I'm free, and everything's permissible for me. Now, he wasn't saying sin is permissible for me, but there are many things that are controversial in the body of Christ that are not sin. Right? And Paul, we'll talk about next week some of the real practical examples that Paul gives, things that may be hard for us to relate to, because we don't deal with meat sacrificed to idols in our supermarket every day. Uh, but Paul talks about those things, and he uses them as examples to help drive home his point here this morning. And I think some of you might be surprised what Paul has to say. Uh, and so I want you to stay tuned. Make sure you're back next week. Drag somebody else with you. Uh, you know, fill this place back up again. You know, summer vacation is, is here, I realize that. But it's winding down, so we want to make sure we get ready for the fall. But... If we can take this advice from Paul and we can live it, we can be powerful together. Everybody say powerful. powerful. When we esteem others better than ourselves, we're powerful. Everybody say powerful. powerful. When we let love be the language that covers a multitude of sins, we can be powerful. Everybody say powerful. powerful. That's how God wants us to live as powerful people. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. That is a liberating statement. You know, I'm going to close with a thought that um, you, I've heard this quote. I've seen it on T-shirts uh, everywhere. Uh, but I never really put it in the context of the gospel until just this past week. And it's this. No man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. No man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. In other words, if I take that statement and I bring it into the context of what Paul's teaching... Not one of us here this morning is isolated from the rest. There is no island. There is no island called Gary Beaumont. There's no island called Sherry Dowling. There's no island, you know, called Adam Cooney. There's no island called Wayne Levy. There's no island at all. We're all part of the same continent called the body of Christ. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And so when we are understand that we're part of the continent, then everything we do, we have to ask this question, is this good for the body or not? Is this good for the body or not? And we'll use some real practical examples. We're going to walk through some real practical stuff. Some of you might not even like me by the time I finish over the next couple weeks. It's the risk I'm willing to take for the continent. All right? It's the risk I'm willing to take for the body. Because I think if we can get this, we can have a profound impact on one another. And we can have a profound impact on our community. And when the Bible says that they'll know that we are, are Christians 
by our love for God? One another. One another. Father, I just thank you this morning. God, as we start down this journey, this morning we understand the difference between hypocrisy and deference. Father, hypocrisy is me standing up and claiming one thing and then practicing another. Deference is having the liberty to practice something and choosing not to for the sake of somebody else. Father, when we walk in deference, we walk in liberty. When we walk in hypocrisy, we walk in condemnation. We walk with a critical spirit. We walk with a devastating death spirit on us every day. Father, I pray that, God, you would lift that spirit from us, that we would cast off the spirit of hypocrisy, and that, Father, we would seek to esteem others better than ourselves. That, Father, we would find a way to live out what Paul is telling us here in the Scripture, that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And that, Father, each of us would find a way to think not of our own good, but of the good of others. Father, I pray that you would help us today. And Lord, next week as we get uh, delve into Romans, and Father, we look at what Paul has to say about this, that Father, his teaching is so practical, it is so spot on, that Father, I think that we can have the kind of revival that causes us to have love one for another and produces the kind of fruit that Lord has people saying, what is it that you have that I don't have and I need in my life? And Father, we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.